Amen for that special music. You know, that's an interesting theme they sang about, the faithfulness of God. And God is always faithful, always, always faithful. I'm going to make mention of that today in the message. But what God is looking for today is a church that will be faithful back to him. And that, hopefully, will be Grace Baptist Church. I want to be part of a church that's going to be faithful to God. I hope you do too. Back in 1984, a Christian man by the name of George Barna started a company that would take surveys and polls of religious thought. Uh, He's located in America. And here are some of his more recent statistics. Listen to this. Of the people polled, and he does a lot of it. That's what he and his, his company does. They've got a team of researchers. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Many who identify themselves as Christian, uh, they can't name more than two or three of the 12 disciples. 60% of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. And so someone said, no wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time because they don't even know what they are. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Those who identify themselves as born-again Christians did little better by 1%. A majority of adults think the Bible teaches the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's family. Some of the statistics are really enough to perplex even those who are aware of the problem. 12% of adults believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Graduating high school seniors were surveyed and they found that over 50% of them thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and wife. Now these days that might not be too far from the truth in some situations. A considerable number of people polled indicate that they thought the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon preached by the late Billy Graham. We're in big trouble, folks. We are in big trouble. Uh, America is a more Christian, religious nation than Canada. And if that's the condition of America, what kind of condition is Canada in? Well, we're in very poor condition. Uh, even Surrey, I went on the RCMP website and I pulled up these statistics for 2020. So they've done half a year now of statistics. There's been 3,985 violent crimes recorded in the city of Surrey. 32 of those involve forcible confinement, kidnapping, or abduction. There have been five homicides and seven attempted murders. This is all in little old Surrey. There were 12,284 property crimes involving vandalism and theft. Our church was one of those because we've been robbed. 144 offenses involving weapons and 26 instances of cocaine possession. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But it tells us something that uh, Surrey is no uh, pristine baby, I'll tell you that. We are a city seeped in crime and paganism, and there are 
Very few churches doing anything about it. In fact, the majority of churches throughout North America are not what they used to be years ago. Whereas they used to preach good godly standards and they used to encourage people to pray and read their Bible daily, they don't do that anymore. They used to be involved with soul winning, they don't do that anymore. They used to support gospel preaching missionaries, they don't do that anymore. Rather, what's happened, what we find is that the churches that once heralded out the gospel of Jesus Christ have now become entertainment centers. And they have the word church over the door. Preaching has taken a back seat to arm-waving, heavy-duty swoon music and rock music. That's exactly what's happening in so many churches. The musicians themselves have taken on the celebrity of rock stars. That speaks more of the, the average church throughout North America. Folks, we're in big trouble. And I believe there's a tremendous need, a desperate need today for churches that will be faithful. Faithful to the Lord and to the calling. You know, we have problems all around us. We've got problems with the weather. It's convulsing. We've got hurricanes ganging up on each other. They have so many hurricanes now out on the East Coast that they have run out of names for them. Traditional names. And now they're taking to some sort of Greek names. Now they're having to do this. That's, that's crazy. The amount of damage is uh, in the billions, billions and billions and billions of damage that's being done and flooding and so on. And of course, on the West Coast now, we've, we've got tremendous forest fires raging up and down the coast. We've, we're grappling with the smoke of it here in Surrey. We are definitely not immune. The weather in the world is changing. It's convulsing. The economics have changed. COVID-19 Ah, the disease pandemics. There's another one. Another thing that's engulfed the world, hasn't it? The politics. The politics are all in upheaval. They've got now uh, a November election in the States. And they're, they're, they're at war. They're literally at war with one another. Um, this uh, uh, um, Supreme Court Judge Ginsburg, who just passed away. There's a, a, a race to replace her and a race to prevent her from being replaced. And both parties, I mean, if they could commit murder and get away with it, they would do it. Like the politics are that bad. You say, well, what do we care about their politics? Because it's still true to this day. As goes America, so goes the world. America is still a world leader. It's, its currency is the benchmark. They are still the most powerful nation. And if these things are happening there. Folks, the world's in trouble. Surrey is in trouble. And God is looking for churches that will be faithful to him. In these last days before the trumpet sounds, God is looking for churches that will be faithful. And I'm saying, Lord, here we are. Choose Grace Baptist Church. Let us be that faithful church for you. Well, today I want to speak with you for a little bit on the subject of the desperate need for a faithful church today. Let's begin with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you truly are faithful. And even though this world and especially the churches are not showing 
ourselves faithful to you, yet still you're faithful back to us. No one can ever point a finger at you and accuse you of unfaithfulness. Never. You're a faithful God. And we know it doesn't mean that judgment won't come because it's even now starting. The things that we're seeing and experiencing have got to be part of the judgment of Almighty God upon a wicked world. And here we are, the church that Jesus died for. Help us to be faithful. Teach us how to do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen. Well, we've got an amazing story, and it's a story I'm sure you're familiar with. Jesus had just been up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And before those fellows, Jesus' clothes became radiant, white, glistening, gleaming, and he spoke with Moses and Elijah. You remember the story? Peter, uh, three of them were tired, all sleepy and tired. And so Peter said, oh, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles one for you, Lord Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was sort of putting the three of them on the same plateau. The sky clouded over on the top of the mountain and the voice of the Heavenly Father was heard. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Listen to him. And so it was an experience they never forgot. And Jesus told them, you know, keep it to yourselves for now. They come down the side of the mountain and there's some buzz going on. Big crowd is gathered. There are the other nine disciples that Jesus left at the base of the mountain. And there's this other crowd all buzzing around and there's something happening. When Jesus comes down with his disciples, the people look at him and they're amazed. Possibly, we don't know, but possibly there was still a little bit of glow from, from Jesus. Possibly, don't know, speculation only. But they were amazed. They came running to him. The scribes were there. Basically, those are the bad guys. They were there questioning with the disciples, saying and uh, uh, asking them questions. Jesus said, what's going on? And then a man from the crowd came out and said, Lord, I have a sin-sick son, demon-possessed boy, and I brought him to your disciples to heal him, cast the demon out, but they couldn't do it. And then the Lord Jesus speaking to him, said, oh, faithless generation. And truly, the generation of Jesus' day was faithless. But folks, look around us today. Do you think it's gotten any better? Is society better now than they were in 2,000 years ago? Do they have more faith in God today than they had 2,000 years ago? Huh? I'll tell you what we've got. We've got more ways to commit sin. That's what we've got. And I think we've got sin-sick boys on a worldwide pandemic scale is what I think we've got. We sort of have a picture, almost a picture, almost a picture, if you will, of the nine disciples sort of representing a powerless church. Here at the base of the, the mountain, people like to be up on the mountaintop with Jesus. You know, they, they love to have that mountaintop experience they talk about. And you remember I, I gave you an illustration from D.L. Moody. He said a man stood up in his, one of his meetings and said, praise God, I've been on the Mount of Transfiguration for five years. And then Moody asked him, well, in those five years, how many souls have you ever led to Christ? The guy was speechless. He had led none. And Moody turned to the crowd there that day and said, well, 
this kind of religion that keeps a man so high and lofty that he can't reach down into, into the valley and help someone come to Christ. We're not interested in that kind of, of experience. And those words are still true today. We've got Christians that claim they can do wonderful magic and amazing things and they are so close to God, two peas in a pod, and yet they've never led a soul to Christ. They've never in invited a lost person even to read the gospel or give them a gospel tract. <laughs> Folks, our main job is to let the light of Christ shine through us and try to reach into a lost world. And I praise the Lord for the soul-winning efforts that we've been able to, to do as a church. Now, we all wish we could do more, but I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot better than doing nothing. A little boy was on the sand shooting his, his pea gun there, pew, pew, up in, the, up in the air, and a man approached him and said, what are you doing, son? He said, I'm shooting the moon. He said, ping, and he shot off another one. And the, the man laughed at him, and said, son, you'll never hit the moon with that. And uh, the boy looked up at him and said, well, I'm getting closer to it than you are. And there's truth to that. We give out gospel tracts. No, we're not seeing hordes of people get saved. And someone mocks us and says, ah, you're soul winning efforts. Ah, you're like a kid with a pea shooter trying to shoot the moon. Well, Possibly so, but we're getting a lot closer to the target than that guy. He's doing nothing. Nothing. God is looking for faithful churches, plural, that'll be faithful to him in these last days in which we live. And it gets down to that word faithful. And the root of the word faithful is faith, isn't it? Is faith. We are called upon to live by faith, not by sight. Not by sight, by faith. You see, God said, I am, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And the verse we quoted earlier, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. All that's done by faith, not by sight. Because sight gets you nowhere. That's how the world lives is by sight. And it's getting them to hell actually. We need to live by faith. Now, a few years ago, a young lady by the name of Christy Simpson wrote a very interesting song. And I really like it, a Christian song. What Faith Does. And in her song, she talks about what faith does. And it's pretty exciting. But in the chorus, she writes, Faith sees the invisible, believes the impossible, receives the incredible. No matter what was. Faith moves the unmovable. Proves the unprovable. For anyone willing to trust. Believe and you'll see what faith does. And God is calling upon us. To live by faith in him. And this is what makes a church faithful. Is when we look to the Lord. Day after day after day. And we don't get our eyes upon all of the misery and circumstance of the world. Oh, the economy is not looking so good. Oh, we can't take any chances. Oh, look at the COVID-19. We'd better all hold our breath and stay in our closets. Folks, 
we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. This is how the world behaves. We are to behave by faith. We are to live by faith. You have a job you go to, a school you go to. Can you say that you go to that job or that school by faith? If not, why not? You know how I got in the ministry, my job? By faith. Because by sight, man, I'd be the last pick. No one would pick me. But God did. And I, it took me a while to realize it's not me picking myself, it's God who picked me. By faith. And that's how God calls upon us to live, is by faith. This is the age of grace. It really is God's grace. But at the same time, we live in trials and troubles. We do, folks. But we must live by faith. Now, if you look, please, at the story in front of you. So, verse 20, they, they brought him unto him. That's, that's the boy. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on his ground, wallowing and foaming. Right there, it tells you, man, we got a, a sad situation. Oh, this is even getting worse. Give up. Just send the father home with the boy. Verse 21, and he, Jesus, asked his father, how long ago is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And so for several years, we don't know how, the boy, how old the boy was at this point. Maybe he was 13. If he was, and it had been coming on him, maybe, who knows, five years. Can you imagine living in that circumstance? Your son has a demon inside him. And every day you're wondering, are you going to wake up with your throat cut? In the middle of the night, is he going to get up? What did they have to do? Did they have to rope him to the bed at night? I mean, what must it be like to live in a home with a young guy, a young boy, who's demon-possessed? That's pretty scary. See, how did the boy get demon-possessed? As I understand demon possession, no one is born that way. They have to open themselves up to influences. So how do people do that? Well, try to contact the dead. It's called necromancy. Playing around with Ouija boards. Seances. Tarot cards. Crystal balls. You know, Halloween is a huge selling item here in North America. Some stores like, uh, I think it's Value Village, they do their most sales of all, from all the year. It's around Halloween. It's an incredible big business for companies. And what are they selling today? Witches, warlocks, demons. And these other things, these zombies, some kind of, uh, I don't know, almost an alien, demon-possessed kind of a, a person walking around like a zombie. And those are the big sellers. We live in a, a day and age where uh, Hollywood's telling us how to think. They got us convinced that there are aliens out there monitoring us. And people are getting sucked up in spaceships and operated on and put back on, on Earth. We're, we're living in a, an age where we're being conditioned, our minds are being told what to think. We're not thinking biblically, we're not thinking and living by faith. So we come here, um, verse 22, And oft times it hath cast him in the fire, look at that, the demon casts the boy into the fire, and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
Now look again. But if thou canst do anything. Look at it again. But if thou canst do anything. Look at it again. If. You see the if? Can you see it there in your Bible? The Father is asking if. And so look at verse 23. Look how Jesus answers. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. The Father says, if. Jesus answers back, if. A little two-letter word is a pretty powerful word. You know, a big, mighty, heavy door turns on a little hinge. Isn't that right? If is like a hinge. It can turn, it can open and close a big heavy door just by a little hinge. That word if. You know, you couldn't get saved unless you exercised faith. So don't tell me you don't have faith. You do have faith. You do have faith. But faith is like a muscle. And if you don't use your muscles for long enough, they get atrophied. Oh, it's hard to use them. People who've been bedridden for six months, they say they have to require a lot of therapy to get out and start walking again. You just can't jump out of bed and run the mile like you used to. You'll fall on the floor. You have to retrain. You've got to go through therapy. And that's big business as well. Lots of people going through heavy-duty therapy these days, learning how to use their legs and their arms all over again. If it has to do with your faith. Jesus once said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And you see, that's why some Christians, I'm talking just Christians now, if you believe that God can, he will. If you believe God can't, he won't. It's as simple as that. It's according to your faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. And we've got here in this story an amazing picture of as I say, it almost pictures a powerless church at the base of the mountain where the people are. You see, that's where the needs are. We all like to climb up the mountain, be with Jesus on the top of Mount of Transfiguration. Let's go be with Jesus. But that's not where the work is. Sin-sick boys are down in the valley. That's where the work is. That's where the Lord's called us, folks. You got saved. You had everything you needed to go to heaven. You didn't need anything more. It was all done, complete. When you got saved, he could have just taken you to heaven like that. In fact, we have Jesus on the cross. And one of the thieves got saved. And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today thou shalt be in paradise with me. Now I know the guy was dying anyhow. I know that. He was on the cross. He was being put to death. Point is, there's nothing more he needed. He didn't have to get baptized. He didn't have to join the church. He didn't have to take communion. He didn't have to receive the Holy Spirit. He had everything he needed. And he went and was with Jesus in paradise. And then from there to heaven. When you got saved, when I got saved, we had everything we needed. We could have just gone to heaven. Well, why didn't we? Because God left us on earth for purpose. Why is that? To join his church. Why is that? So we can go into the world. You see, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You remember that verse? Raise your hand if you remember that verse. Okay? I will build my... What? Did Jesus say, I will build my Christian? Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, I'll build my church. What's the difference? <laughs> well, the church is made up of Christians. The church is like the family on earth. 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why we need to be part of the church. You know, these lone guys who go off says, well, I'm saved. I don't need the church. What do I need that for? I'm going to off do my own thing. Well, that's between you and God. But if you read the Bible, you'll find that God's will is for the Christian to fellowship with other Christians within a local church. And as a church family, we get our strength and blessing and power from God to go into all the world. God commissioned the church. His blessing is upon the church. The program these days in, the, in this age of grace is upon the church. We got other paragroup organizations and they're out there and they're, if they're doing some good, praise God for it. But it's the church, you see, that God has put his, his stamp of approval on. So we get back to this story here and we find that the Lord Jesus is saying, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him believe, that believeth. Why don't you underline that verse in your Bible? Or put a star beside it, a little line or something. This is so important. Um, chapter 11 and verse, uh, is it 23? Yeah, look at that. Look at that. There's a good companion verse right there in Mark eleven twenty-three. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. We don't know, by the way, what the mountain was. If he was referring to Mount Olivet or... Mount in Jerusalem there or something, we don't know. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And us Christians, we see that and we say, oh, if only it were true. If only we could just pray for something and get it. Well, who says you can't? Well, I've tried it before and it doesn't work. Well, tell me about it. Well, I wanted to see someone saved and I prayed they'd be saved and they never got saved. So what did you do? I give up. Well, there's your problem there. You give up. Now, there are things that we know are God's will. Clear evidence in the scripture. And then we're, there are things that we're not sure if it's God's will. Obviously, sinful things would not be God's will, obviously. But things that are not sinful, say, so, well, is this God's will? Like, how about the 104 building? Is this God's will? Well, according to your faith, be it unto you. Be it unto you. Would you, would you be upset if God gave us the building? Would you be all bent out of shape? And would you cry, cry yourself to sleep if God gave us that building? Now, you might say, no, no, I wouldn't be at all. But I'd be kind of nervous. How can we maintain the building? The same God who gave us the building will give us the grace to maintain it. If God gives a building, he'll give the grace to maintain it. We had the same problem with this building we're in right here. We were in a building half this size. And then we thought about this one. Oh, but it's so much more expensive. How are we going to do it? How can we do it? The same God who gave us the building gave us the means by which we can pay for the building. Same God, same principle. Exactly. The children of Israel, when they finally got into the promised land, oh, how are we ever going to maintain this promised land? The same God who gives the promised land gives the grace to maintain the promised land. Sometimes we want to have $100 million in the bank before we'll go out the door and do something for God. No, nah. let's get a hold of God's will and let's go by faith. Abraham, he, went, he left Ur of the Chaldees. God called him to go to some place he, he didn't even know where he was going. And he went by faith, by the way. He went by faith. 
And the amazing thing is that Abraham wasn't even saved at that point in his life. He didn't get saved until after he got into the promised land and then sometime later. And so these people say that unsaved people can't have faith. Well, what are you going to do with Abraham, unsaved Abraham? Because it says right there in Hebrews chapter 11 that he left. He followed God by faith. Well, we've got uh, the presence of Satan in the world today. And we've got that here in the story, don't we? Satan filled this little boy and caused incredible problems in the home and family. The presence of Satan, his handiwork. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're upset with someone? Don't be. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and all of Satan's hosts, his handiwork. That's the enemy. Your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, the next door neighbor, your boss at work, your cousin, whoever. They are not the enemy. Now, they may be being used by the enemy and Satan might have filled their heart. But get yourself the victory. Look past the person. Look where the real battle lies. And here we've got a battle here with Satan, the presence of Satan. Of course, we've got the, the fickleness of man here as well in this story. And it's a shaky place to put your faith. Shaky place. You know, some of the biggest scams in the world have been done by men who looked like they were the, the, the pillar of confidence. Um, boy, there's been a lot of con artists. When I read you the statistics of the crimes... I didn't go into too much detail, but there were something like 250 cases of fraud perpetrated right here in the city of Surrey. Yeah. That guy uh, who's in jail now, Bernie, uh, what's his name? He, he scammed people to the tune of $50 billion. Con artist. People were giving him money hand over fist. Oh, invest my money for me. Oh, invest my money for me. Okay, I'll do it for you. And he was putting it in his pocket and posting phony numbers. And he was a crook and a thief and a liar. And he's now sitting in jail for the rest of his life. He ever gets out, people will kill him. People committed suicide over the money they lost by giving it to him. The fickleness of man. Don't put your faith in man. You may have a good rock solid job. Praise God for it. But don't make the mistake of putting your faith in that company or your boss, your employer. They may be good people, thank God for them, but your confidence has to be in God. I'll tell you, Psalm 118, verse 8, it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man, because men will fail you over and over and over. They can't help. We're human. Are any of us perfect? Any of us? Can any of us say we've never sinned? Can any of us say we've never made a mistake? No. Every one of us, every single human on earth, we're fickle, we're faulty. We've got to put our trust in the Lord. And we have a situation here. The, uh, the disciples, the nine disciples, they, they, uh, they couldn't help. Boy, the troubles, the pain, the affliction and sorrow and death that they experienced 2,000 years ago, we're experiencing today. And on a larger scale, I might add. No one escapes pain and suffering and trouble for very long. This is not the millennial kingdom where Jesus is on the throne. This is the world. You know, I look again in verse 23. 
If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Israel was delivered out of Egypt. They got into the wilderness, and within one year, they were on the doorstep of the promised land in an area they, they called Kadesh Barnea. And they sent in those 12 spies, and they failed God because they did not use faith. They used sight. They listened to those 10 committee members who twisted and turned their heart, and they all wailed and cried and mumbled against God even, and, and his leaders, Moses and Aaron. Ah, let's kill him and go back to uh, Egypt. We were better off there. Egypt was destroyed at this point. Just so, so sad that they failed God here. Some two or three million Jews spent the next 40 years in the wilderness, but God was still faithful. The special music that, um, that was sung just before the message talked about the faithfulness of God. And even though Israel showed themselves unfaithful toward God in the wilderness. God still showed himself faithful to them. And he provided for their needs. You know, we got a lot of churches that are failing God. But God doesn't fail his churches. Even if they're a church of Laodicea. And if you know anything about that church in Revelation chapter 3. That was, that was not the best church, I'll tell you that. The church at Corinth had a lot of problems too. Big problems. They messed up a lot of things. But God was still faithful. Still. And there hath no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Isn't that right? Amen. He's faithful. And he's looking for churches that will be faithful back to him. You know, I can't say that a Grace Baptist is a perfect church. I can't say that at all. I wish I could, but I can't. I've got to be honest. We're not perfect. Leadership's not perfect. People aren't perfect. There's nothing perfect about us here on earth except our Savior. The presence of our Savior. He is perfect. But He's looking for us to be faithful to Him. What are we going to do in these last days? You know, I had a funny thought the other day. Do you ever have funny thoughts about things? Some, you know, thought comes into your head. That's a funny thought. You know how in the tribulation they're going to get the 666 across the forehead or the back of the, the right hand. Now, personally... I don't think it's going to be so much up to them which one they choose. Oh, I'll take the forehead. I'll take the back of the hand. I think it's going to have something to do with they're going to start on the forehead because that's the most prominent public place. And then if for some medical reason, whatever, they can't put it there, they'll put it on the, the back of the hand. That's my thought only. And I could be wrong on that. But I got a funny thought the other day. You know, you can't go into a, get your teeth cleaned without them taking your temperature, right? You know that? And go into your uh, doctor's office. There are some businesses you can't go into unless they take your temperature. How do they take your temperature? Right there between the eyes, eh? right there on the forehead. They take your temperature with one of these little guns. Okay, you can come in. Uh-oh, can't come in. Change your battery. <laughs> they take the temperature there. And it's just a funny thought, and, and I'm sure it has no connection whatsoever. But what if this COVID-19 thing was conditioning the world? Getting the temperature, getting something taken on the forehead. What if somehow the mark, the 666, they're talking about Bill Gates's serum that has a chip in it and that people are going to get vaccinated. This is in the news. Check it out. Bill Gates has got some kind of serum. And, and he wants to put a chip in it, and it's for safety, public safety. 
so that right away you can tell if this person's been vaccinated. All right, you're safe. You can come in. Oh, you haven't been vaccinated. Oh, we can't let you in because you could, you know, cause cause problem. And so this has been in the news for the last number of months. Bill Gates and his uh, serum with a chip in it. What if, just for fun, what if that were, were real? And so we're getting conditioned. We're getting conditioned. I really do believe that the world is being conditioned. Whether what I just told you has any truth or not, I don't know myself. I, I don't know. It was just a funny thought came into my head. But I do believe that this world is being conditioned for the tribulation, which means we don't have a lot of years left. So we need to show ourselves faithful. That's what I'm saying. Now, how can I be faithful? How can I increase my faith? Quickly, here's three ways you can do it. Number one is the Word of God. You can't increase faith without the Word of God. That's why you need the Word of God every single day. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You have to have the Word of God coming into you every single day. Every single day. Don't let a day go by without reading the Word of God. I hope you have a Bible reading some kind of system. We have them. We'll give them to you for free. Give you one little piece of paper per month. You go through those passages. You turn it in. You get another piece of paper. You do that for the next month. In 12 months, you've read the entire Bible through. So many Christians have never read the entire Bible through. Never. They've read a little bit here, a little bit there, and what they hear on Sunday. But they've never read the Bible through. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to consume this book. Literally, we just need to take it into our heart and soul and spirit. Read it. Get the eye gate going. Listen to it being spoken or preached. Get the ear gate going. Get the word of God every day. You can't have faith without the word of God. Faith increases as we read and hear the Bible. If we knew the Bible, I don't think we'd be as as worried over some of these things we worry about. Number two is use the faith you already have. Like we said earlier, faith is like a muscle. If you don't use it, right, you might lose it. You have to use the faith you, you have. You come to church by faith. Now, with COVID-19 going around, you come to church by faith. Always mark it down. I'm going to church by faith. Before we had COVID, before there was any of this lockdown and you know, the numbers, you could only have 50 in the building and stuff like that. We still had people in our church who struggled with faith. Well, should we go to church today? Should we not go to church today? Right? This was a common thing and it's still happening today. It hasn't gone away. But it's emphasized the need to come by faith. COVID-19 has helped us in that regard. Um, now, this particular father here, when he comes to Jesus... He said these words in verse 24. Straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, and I think he was very sincere, and he said, Lord, I believe. Now, Jesus had just said, if thou canst believe, in verse 23. And the man responds, Lord, I believe. And then he says something. Help thou mine unbelief. Help thou mine unbelief. Say, what does that mean? I'll give you a good example. Lord, I believe you can give us that building on 104. But I just don't know if you're going to do it. I don't know if it's your will or not. You know, I got some unbelief there. And, and even if we do get it, how can we afford it? And I struggle with that too. You see, there's elements of belief and elements of unbelief. Faith and doubt. And most of us have both. 
It would be unusual to find someone who only had faith and no doubt whatsoever. Doubt is part of human fabric. And the devil waters that garden. The devil wants to grow nothing but doubts and keep people in question marks. Faith and doubt. Lord, I have faith, but I also have doubt. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And this applies with with everything. If you're having problems in your home with your husband or wife, if you're having problems with your children, you know, you're wanting to claim the promises of God and get victory, and I, I believe, God, you can do it. But would you do it for me? I'm not sure. Elements of faith, elements of doubt. This particular father did not wait until he had total faith. He went ahead. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Did you, did you know that using your faith grows your faith? Did you know that? As you use it, it grows. You need to get it out of the bottle and start using it. Use your faith. They say use it or lose it. Get involved. Number three, and this one I like. Stay in the company of the right people. That's what we have here. Now the disciples down at the foot of the mountain, it was still the right company. They were still the disciples, the nine apostles down there. But when the other three and Jesus came, you see, it made up the whole Jesus and the 12 apostles. Stay with the right crowd. Don't leave the right company. Stay with the right crowd. Think of it. Do you know anyone who used to be faithful coming to church? And then they just started falling away. And you found out that they started going to these different groups or hanging around with these different ones. And before you knew it, their faith became washed out. A shipwreck. Stick with the right crowd. 2 Timothy 2.2. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. That's what I meant to say. A lot of twos there. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And Proverbs 13.20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That's why it's important that we, we get with the right crowd, we stick with the right crowd. I want to tell you a little story about the pencil. It's a parable, and we're done. The parable of the pencil. A pencil maker, once upon a time, the pencil maker took a pencil to one side and before putting him in the box, the pencil, the pencil maker said to the pencil, he said, there are five things you need to know, my son, before I send you out into the world. Always remember these five things, never forget them, and you'll be the best pencil that you can be. Oh, what are they, sir? Said the pencil. Number one. You will be able to do many great things, but only if you allow yourself to be held in someone's hand. Is that not true of a pencil? A pencil can do great things, but only as it's held in somebody's hand. Lesson number two, you will experience a painful sharpening from time to time, but you need that in order to be a better pencil. Number three, the eraser that I have added will enable you to correct any mistakes you might make. Number four, the most important part of you will always be what's on the inside. 
And number five, on every surface that you're used on, do your job and leave your mark. No matter what the condition, you must continue to write, fulfilling the purpose for which I have made you. Those are the five lessons the pencil maker gave to the pencil. And the pencil understood and promised to remember and he went into the box with great purpose of mind. Now, think of yourself as that pencil. You are now the pencil. Number one, here are the lessons. You will be able to do a great many things, but only if you allow yourself to be held in God's hand and allow other people to access you for the many abilities you possess. Lesson number two, you will experience a painful sharpening from time to time by going through various problems in life. But you need these experiences in order to become sharper and a stronger person. Lesson number three, with the Holy Spirit, you will be able to correct any mistake you might make. Number four, the most important part of you will always be what's on the inside. So don't worry too much about what the mirror is telling you on any particular day. Or maybe what your savings account at the bank is trying to tell you. Don't worry so much about that, those things. The most important part is what's on the inside. And number five, in every situation of life that you walk through, you must let your light shine. No matter what the situation, you must continue to do your duty and fulfill the purpose for which you have been made. Pretty good lessons, I'd say, don't you think? For a pencil. The parable of the pencil. This world we live in, folks, and you talk to a lot of Christians, and I think a lot of them would agree that these have got to be the last days. Unprecedented things happening. And there is a desperate need for a church to be faithful in these last days. Serving God by faith. Men and women within that church who will not let difficulties hold them back from getting the victory. Faith sees the invisible, believes the impossible, receives the incredible no matter what was. Faith moves the unmovable, proves the unprovable for anyone willing to trust. Believe and you'll see what faith does. COVID-19 has restricted some of our ministries and abilities as a church, but it hasn't closed us out. We still have missionaries. By faith, will you continue to pray for missionaries and support missionaries to take the gospel around the world? We still have tithing. By faith, will you tithe? Give 10% to God to keep the ministry strong here. By faith, will you be a soul winner? Come to the Soul Winners Academy refreshment course that's coming up in a couple weeks. Sign up for it. Cost is almost nothing. Ten bucks. Come and attend and be refreshed in that. Let God use it to burden your heart for the lost. What about the 104 building? Will you pray? Will you pray every day for God to show us His will? You know, there's a verse in the Bible in Proverbs that says, where no oxen, where no ox is, the crib is clean. 
Now that, you know what an ox is, right? A great big behemoth of a beast. Great big thing. Weighs 1,000 or 1,500 pounds or something insane. And when you don't have those things, the barn there, it's nice and clean. You see, but if you have one of these things, it's not going to be so clean. So where no ox are, the crib is clean. But, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. If you want to increase the amount of harvest and increase the amount of fruit for God and increase the amount of good works, you're going to need a big ox. That building is like a big ox, isn't it? If we're going to produce more fruit, we're going to need a bigger garden. Would you pray every day by faith? God, show us your will. Show us your will. Show us your will. And of course, the Bible College, I think we could use a few more people that would help feed hungry students. Talk to Pastor Silver or Mrs. Irish, and they'll explain to you what's involved helping to feed the Bible College students. Boy, it's a wonderful ministry. My wife and I are involved in that ministry as well. We love the Bible College. Folks, we're done now. But do you see what I'm saying? We live in a desperate world. We're at the base of the mountain. There are sin-sick boys all around us. And what we need to be is a church on fire with power that can help and not some kind of social center, entertainment center. We need to be the church of the living God here in Surrey. You've been so patient. Would you bow your head for prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, wonderful Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything we need, all the power, the wisdom, the resources are right there available for us through prayer. Please help us to pray and exercise our faith. Grow us, Lord. You've certainly done growth. From 21 years ago, we were, we were nothing. Now we're so much bigger. Use us, Lord, to reach the city, to reach the world. Show us, Lord, your will concerning that building. Empower us, Lord, to let our light shine, to reach out to others. Oh, Father, if you can possibly use a church like us here in this city and around the world through missions, here we are, Lord. Please increase our faith. In Jesus' name, we humbly ask it. Amen.